this is a very complicated subject, isn't it? Actually causes raised blood pressure, like some people, the roles of men and women, and it's actually newsworthy as well. If you look at it right now in terms of the church, um, what's going on in Christian circles, and people who thought they were united suddenly finding they're very divided. Other people are blaming a lot of this decline of family life on a misunderstanding of roles in the family. And then we have our young daughters growing up who um, are very, very clear that they are not going to be under the control of somebody else. Correct. Um, probably girls who came to places like CT um, Colleges of Technology who are quite clear that they're doing their own thinking for themselves. Thank you. And um, they're not just going to spend their lives producing fish pies. <laughs> so we, we, uh, here we are considering our practical lives as Christians, biblically based, and perhaps uh, there can't be a, a more poignant example of a practical application and considering the roles, or perhaps before we think of roles, actually our nature as men and as women. What is it? What are our distinctive, the essence? Because it obviously hasn't got to do with who does the dishes or who changes the baby's nappies. <coughs> not everybody is going to, to get married, and not everybody is going to have even perhaps most of their adult lives, if you take, um, well, I'm a parent of six children, actually, so I'd say their adult lives, perhaps starting at 24, <laughs> maybe six years after majority, <laughs> from a parental um, role, if you like, uh, needing the support. We really need to sit back and ask some questions. If you're thinking that I'm going to give some sort of blueprint about this and six easy answers, absolutely not. It's who I am as a woman and who the other person in it is as a man, according to God's word, and how this works out in this changing society isn't that easy. It's not that easy. And we have a lot of emotion as I've indicated, wrapped up with it. We have, as I've indicated in education, rapid change. Um, our own oldest <coughs> daughter is 32 years old, and 32 years ago, certain things were expected um, amongst girls, women. I, I think of myself when I was in college at the, in the late 50s, which have now altered dramatically. And where do we stand as Christians? What's important? And how do we find this essence? So uh, in, in the old saying, we don't lose, throw out the baby with the bathwater. Because that is in fact what is happening very often. Um, when there's a great deal of change and we don't know what is worthwhile and what is precious, it's very possible to lose, in a sense, in the relational sphere a pearl of great price which somebody was saying there is a profound mystery but it isn't only just a mystery it's also uh, in a sense if we if we start with Ranald's question what is left out today in all of sciences who is man and woman together mankind a very early on question because we obviously come in two sorts there are those of us who are men, and there are those of us who are women, and it immediately makes a difference. It certainly makes a difference. Um, I'm sure that here in the school, uh, the 11, 12-year-old boys feel that it makes a difference, and the 11 and 12-year-old girls, they're very aware of each other. They're very natural, perhaps, around each other, having been brought up together. But the boys do things together, and at that age, girls do things together. They, they react differently. We are girls. I have something to tell you because you're another little girl. And um, then there's watching each other and this of course premature awareness of sexuality brought about nowadays by the media and the use 
of ourselves because it is so powerful our sexuality is so so such a powerful part of our inner experience that commercialism wants to make money out of these the, this these longings perhaps one could put because there are longings we are incomplete just as all males or all females we are meant to be in relationship to one another we are not meant to be independent and we are made to for a completeness as we live together now it's much broader than just the family I don't know what actually one was thinking of or what you thought of as you read the title the role of men and women is it this in the church is it in the family well what is it if we think and we just try this is an exercise that can go on and you can do as you're driving in your car places and stopping it in traffic queues and um, have nothing else to think about it what is it how do I treat um, a man in a, in a different way than my women friends and women because they are women and making them feel more feminine males quite apart from the the touching feeling sexuality you ask most of our teenagers and young people today they will quickly and only think of their differences as male and female as something physical of having this girlfriend boyfriend relationship <laughs> of interacting on a sexual level how do we build up how are we complementary how do we make the other person feel more whole now the reason we need to think about this is that is culturally linked um, opening a door for a woman not because she's too feeble to open the door herself physically um, standing aside was a courteous graciousness that made a, a woman feel um, someone is aware of me someone is is being courteous is being gracious perhaps the bunch of flowers or um, the noticing th something which has been done the verbalizing by either male or female to the other person so uh, one aspect <coughs> that a lot of us women are aware of is what if you're driving um, uh, having a long motorway drive as a woman alone and your car breaks down now a great many women feel suddenly very vulnerable however much we can buy and sell houses buy and sell cars get our PhDs do research in genetics etc we'll still feel vulnerable when our car breaks down on the M1 coming up north or going down south and therefore the people selling these telephone telephones are going to have brisk business because we would like to be able to call some call to someone we would be very very happy if we broke down and actually suddenly a car drove behind us and it was the elder in our church who said hey I noticed you driving by and I noticed you've broken down and I'm here and I'll go with you to the telephone you won't be on your own I'm going to do this no, nothing improper but suddenly uh, a man being able to give offer protection and a certain amount of strength and actual not just a apparent strength a woman is much much safer walking to a telephone on a motorway with a man by her side it's not just apparent the relief would be enormous or uh, the relief of a, a say a recently widowed man who's who, who's faced with the complexities of family life and perhaps uh, obscure needs of a toddler etc and a woman comes in and suddenly says I will I'm here you know you could do this you could do that this is happening that is happening a relief there are things which we can donate to each other and receive allowing for the differences which can help us because we are not independent <coughs> that I su suggest is the heart of roles it is in fact acting as men and women to donate and to receive each other in that complementarity in that um, the uniqueness that we have to give now that is not easy to define but can you actually however wonderful these computers are 
feed into them a program that will give you the scent of an English morn in May out somewhere where there's sweetness and flowers and fresh air and the song of the lark. No, there's no computer program that will give that to you. Nor the look of gratitude and relief and satisfaction between men and women. We have written poetry about it. We have plenty of plays. And it goes on and on, whether it's in Neighbours nowadays, I assume. I mean, I don't, we don't actually have television, but I assume that this continues to draw and your teenagers they are longing for something but they're looking for the answer of it of course in the wrong place because our deepest longings are first of all met in God himself so we are not incomplete if we're not married our first satisfaction comes from the love of God and our incompleteness is met in him but it doesn't end there we're human beings and we are meant to be part of what is more, as C.S. Lewis said, more like a dance. He said that the interaction between the sexes is more like a dance than, say, if you want to put it this way, some sort of formal hierarchy where someone is on top, the next person is down here and down below, some sort of chain of command or everything where I thump you, I'm in control. It's not like that. It's more like three steps forward, two back, and another person comes in and moves back, and there is an interaction going on, and an awareness, and a grace. These gentler aspects, and more enriching, and more satisfying aspects of relationship, are being lost along with the song of the lark, and the scent of May or of the autumn leaves being lost in our petrol fumes. Because people are becoming hardened, hardened um, by many things. Pro as we know biblically, the greatest hardener of all is sin. And if you actually, the whole question of feminism, I wasn't going to bring it up, but bringing it up right here, the, the whole... Um, if one wants to think the, um, the power struggle that is going on at the moment is that it is protecting one's own turf and saying that I matter and what I want matters. And sometimes it's not very different from the temper tantrum of a three or four year old child. Sort of kick and stream. And I will have what I want and I'm going to have my own way. Now, threatened evangelical males can react the same way. I mean, after all, aren't you supposed to submit to me and do everything I want? You do what I say. But is this the picture that's given? No, none of us are meant to be in control. And that, I would suggest, takes the, the whole tension out of the whole question or the, 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 sinful, the sinful strength that is given to the um, desire to find out who's going to be in control. Because who is going to be in control? Not you, not me. The Lord is in control. And thy will be done is our paradigm. If we must have a model, it starts there. God is in control. And he has created us to exhibit what? To exhibit life. To exhibit relationships. To, to exhibit donating ourselves and receiving the other, which is the heart of relationships, and not who has the last word. Now, we live, if Christianity is true, and as Ranald was pointing out biblically, we live in a framework which is understood. There are many aspects of this framework which are not under discussion. The second thing about being a biblical Christian, now there are the laws, there are the rights and wrongs. So for instance, if we are going to think of a role, um, we think immediately of marriage, don't we? Because male and female, that is a very important part of our relationship and it's based on faithfulness, it's built on commitment. But outside of marriage, I can feel safe in the presence of this person I chose as an example 
elder in my church. Why? Because I'm going to feel safe. I'm threatened by this person. I will believe, I want to believe, that he is going to be faithful to God's laws and not suddenly take advantage of me in any way. <coughs> so trust is built on righteousness, on not being used. What is an abused child? It is a child who has been used for the other person's personal desires. To, uh, whether it's to pay back somebody in anger, might have been their own unhappy child, so I'll thump you. Or um, to satisfy their own desires, rather than to serve, rather than to give. And how do we know how to give without sin? Well, none of us do, because we're all sinners. But God's word shows us the way. So we have, we have this <coughs> wonderful framework within which to work. And then within that, we are seeking an exhibition and a living of life. Now, as Christians, we want to be real. What is one of the enemies? What is one of the hardenings in all of our relationships? And if we talk of men and women, it is pretending, pretense, acting behind a mask, actually wanting another person's harm, but on the outside seeming to do their good. A great deal of conflict and misuse comes because people in their hearts are not actually right before God and they're actually all twisted up and they, they're giving out jobs. Very, very common between <coughs> male and female. So you have, for instance, a, a, a little girl who is misused sexually or misused um, in some way <coughs> by a man and she will later on, in a sense, want to punish all men. And interestingly enough, going back to this feminism thing, one thing which suddenly struck me, I've done quite a bit of work um, counseling people who have been sexually abused as children within the, the life of Labrie, and um, suddenly struck me, hey, as a group, feminists are behaving like an abused woman. And that is no trust. I'm not going to trust anybody. I am not going to... Um, listen to anyone else I, because I'm going to feel that people are going to use me and want to control me and a fear of, of giving up final control or of hiding away the emotions. I'm just as good as men. I mean, I've, been, I've got all my degrees now. I've finished at Cambridge and I'm going to university. I'm going to um, have this job and I'll just put down any emotional reaction I'll have. I'll become hard. All of these things... All of these things, hardness, control, just wanting to listen to myself, not wanting to listen. It's not very feminine, is it? Well, it's not very good for men either. Now, actually, the interesting thing is, I believe as we examine biblical roles for men and women, we discover many of the same elements. And that is that we're not to be selfish and we are meant to serve each other's welfare. But there are differences. <coughs> there are differences. We are made differently. And if we seek a key to this difference, probably uh, one of the f best entry points, if we're thinking emotionally, psychologically, and then the way it works out into human society, is in fact our biological structure, and that is that I am a mother, and the other person is the father. Interesting, isn't it? God is the father. And if we choose what out of all the choices of the one word that is used, God the King, the Creator, all true, the Lord over all, the ruler of all, the priest. No, but that's not what's chosen. It's this intimate. So we've got the word Abba, and Christ on the cross says Abba. That is Daddy. It's the word that your child uses in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. when they've had a nightmare. Daddy. How wonderful to have a daddy who will come and comfort your fear. Daddy, incidentally, is better on the M1 than mummy is. <laughs> However liberated we are, um, as quite safety. Yeah, well, that's all right. Daddy will get out and change the tires. Actually, much better in our family than mummy trying to do it, which wouldn't work anyway. And we'd still be there tomorrow morning. But daddies are, there's a special relief in daddies around. It's all all right. 
it's going to be all right. But so is mummy. So is mummy. We need, we need that. What is the difference? Well, we all know there is a difference. So do psychologists. If you read um, the book Surviving Families, which is a popular book of um, family issues on a psychological scale, John Cleese and Skinner, um, interesting sort of teaming up there, um, fascinating, but quite interesting. Without the Christian perspective, you have the mother bond being formed of someone who just accepts unconditionally, absolutely unconditionally. So the child even feels totally merged with it. That is a woman there in that particular relationship. Now, daddy comes along and he is necessary. Why? Why on earth? Now, this isn't the Bible saying it or anything. This is just pure observation. Because he is going to make some boundaries. There's going to be some authority. Interesting, isn't it? Just from the point of view of Christians. What does that mean in emotional terms? Because this isn't consideration of parenting. Well, I don't think we can always say exactly. Women also work very strongly within boundaries or else you wouldn't have had your good Yorkshire housewife who knew very well how much money she had and um, where the practicality stopped and how many hours you could work etc etc and looked after the family very intensely practical way within reality but you know what's happened in our generation we've lost touch with reality and so we're not very good at this, and our intuition isn't very good. And our sons and our daughters' intuitions about this, this gentle relational dance, if you like, of give and take, and saying, oh, I can still I feel totally um, built up and respected as a woman and looked after, or respected as a man without necessarily having to open a door. Or if your daughter or friend wants to carry in all her parcels, that's all right. It saves your muscles or back or something. Um, but how do we relate building each other up in this way? Making, in a sense, m the most of this richness that we have to contribute between us. Our generation, on the one hand, is so hard and rubbing out all differences, you all do the same exams, aiming for the same careers, etc., have the same aspirations. And then on the other hand, we're being bombarded morning, noon, and night, if not from the television, but from advertising, etc., on a purely physical layer of sexuality. Now, the, the physical is very powerful, but that belongs, as we were saying this morning, within the marriage relationship. And so between the two, a really strange thing is happening, and that is uh, an in, not just an insecurity, but an unsureness about what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man. What do we exactly have to contribute? I don't think it has anything to do with having more or less mind or um, needing that side appeal, being appealed to. As people say, Christ went against the rabbinical tradition and expected women to be able to think through their faith and their belief and their understanding. Paul worked with women building the church. They were certainly not just making fish pies and soup out in the kitchen. They were involved in the, the, the battle front together as a team. And perhaps that word is very important. That's team. Marriage is teamwork if it's going well. So it's men and women working together in the church. Now, one of, another problem, just to throw in problems here, is we're all so <coughs> different as men and women. So what are the, if, if we do examine, what are the traits most noticeable um, from little boys to men and from little girls to women? Well, as Erickson says, if, if you've studied thousands of little boys and little girls the way American studies can, although he wasn't American, he, he worked at Harvard, but having it was Denmark. He had come from a German family. It was one of these wartime things. Um, but little boys are definitely, everybody says this, however much we try to change it, are more aggressive, aren't they? And if you have 
grandchildren or children or nieces or nephews or if you're a school teacher you'll know this is true little boys are always charging around hurling things at each other shouting they love sticks from a very early age if you don't have guns in the family well they'll find sticks and um, brandish them to great usefulness and they're always charging in doing things and little girls are making lovely cozy little houses and I'm afraid they do. I'm a feminist, just, it's just too bad, but they do. And um, little grandchildren of our, we, we our grandparents have, uh, have a little three-year-old granddaughter and had just come from the Tibetan border because her parents are missionaries up there and hadn't brought any toys with them. Well, what does a three-year-old girl want? She wants a doll, thank you very much. She just does. It's too bad, that's what she wants. <coughs> and, and that's what will keep her happy a little baby and then she'll make a nice comfortable place for it too and put cushions around and all these hundreds of children the girls were always setting up um, the bricks into nice welcoming domestic arrangements <laughs> and the boys were always making big either big towers or sort of roads with trains rushing down them <laughs> and as you know baby boys will respond very very quickly to motorized sound <laughs> and, uh, like that, and little girls otherwise. Now, now, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean there are little girls who also are very clever with sticks and will ward off enemies and fight battles and etc. And there are plenty of little boys who will tenderly look after their little teddy bears and like nice cozy little corners with cushions and, and books and sit there quite happily. So we're a mixture and we grown-ups are a mixture so it's not all that easy. How does God treat us? Well, he doesn't rubber stamp us. Peter was a very different friend from John. Two very different characters. Um, I listened to an eminent um, doctor in sexuality recently, a Christian, who was saying one of the problems about the growth of homosexuality is the rubber stamping that we have had. I've just the rugby player macho sort of model and there are also men who are artistic and gentle and very good at relationships and very kindly for instance with no wrong sinful overtones say to young lads and who are just the kind of people to befriend children the problem is of course always sin but there's not one better kind of woman the uh, pioneering stock, I, I, I'm an American citizen, didn't grow up there, but the pioneering stock that could roll up its sleeves and go out over the prairies and build log cabins and ward off Indians and give birth to their own babies, etc. They were certainly not namby-pamby women who needed looking after from morning till night, whether it was by Sainsbury's wrapping everything up in plastic <laughs> or by husbands. <coughs> they were quite capable of, of living interesting um, lives which impacted their environment. They had ideas, what did they work? They worked as a team. So we, one first lesson is we, everybody is so different. Christians, what, what model do we have in the Bible? <coughs> we have a body principle, and that is we're not all the same. We're very, very different from each other. And we must appreciate that and that is right, and that is good. And if you have enough children, you'll have very different kinds of girls and very different kinds of boys. We don't see it anymore so much because families tend to be quite small. But even two parents given much the same environment will produce very different sons. And you ha will have the pioneering sort of child, who, male or female, and you'll have the other one who um, is different. God allows for these differences, men and women. And we're not put down because of it. There's not a better man and a better woman type. God expects us to start with who we actually are. And one thing which troubles me about a lot of the writing that has happened in the last 10 years about roles has been polarization and the fact that people have reacted in fear to perhaps the feminism and the careerism which has affected men as much as women and we all have been tempted to neglect what Ronald was saying is our 
primary responsibility is family relationships and friendships. We don't start off as husbands as wives. We start off, each one of us, as a son and a daughter. We all have family relationships. Then we have brothers and sisters. They can either be our blood family or our adopted family. But we all are members of some basic relationship. Even if you were brought up in Bernardo's homes, you still had a relationship. The very fact that you are there and not adopted means you have a relationship with someone. There's some reason why you have not been adopted at that point. When we become Christians, we have a primary responsibility to fulfill those relationships. I believe, I find this is very difficult to say, I believe <coughs> that women, if there's any one thing I can find in scripture um, that is a really profound clue as to what my role is and my responsibility, I believe women have um, a first necessity it isn't, it isn't a role, it's a responsibility, a necessity to fulfill their family relationships. So we have, for instance, in Timothy, which I want to look at, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's in another context. It's in the context of choosing who is going to serve in the church. Interestingly enough, and just by the side, it seems to be a team ministry. And it seems to be depending on husbands and wives here, and they have to be certain kinds of people. And in these chapters, we find one of the few places where in the New Testament, or indeed the Old Testament, we are instructed separately as men and women. In fact, we aren't even instructed. They are lists given. Have we done this? Have we done that? For various reasons. Most of the Bible is written to both of us as men and women. And we don't have a separate relationship with God. We are to be, we are to desire his will. We are to love him. We are to glorify him. We seek to be salt and light in our communities. We, etc. The Bible is written for all of us. Here, interestingly enough, where we're, we're, we're talking about who is going to be chosen um, to be deacons and overseers in the church and men and women. And secondly, and later on, the widows who are who are going to be qualified in a sense to be supported by the church in what seems to be a full-time ministry now as an aside in this we get a glimpse of godly roles in a way or responsibilities or what people have done that will make them <coughs> models for other people because the Christian life is never divorced from practical everyday life I'm never meant to get out of my car and get into a church and say the most wonderful words and sing the most wonderful hymns and prayers and listen to great sermons, get in my car and drive away again and then go on living my life. That is a terrible travesty. It, in fact, is not living Christianity. A live Christianity is what happens at 9 o'clock Monday morning and 4.30 Tuesday and at 9 o'clock at night Wednesday and it's my relationship um, how I handle conflict, say, in the car on the way to church, whether I'm married or not. Um, but the people, say, if you're going with a flatmate and you're disagreeing about who's done the housework, it doesn't have to be a married couple, um, to feel anger and resentment and how we handle these things. This is our Christian life. Now, we will find this hotted up between men and women because we are being told to be selfish. The media tells us to be selfish. It tells us to watch out for our own selves and to be independent. Three non-Christian ways of behaving. We are meant to be working as a body. Now, how are these people working? Well, whatever we think, it's meant to be one of the problem bits of scripture, isn't it? I'm not going to get into an exegesis of that. Well, that's quite interesting. I've often done it with people at Labrie. But in chapter 2, the last verse, um, women will be kept safe throughout the difficulties of being a mother, putting that in parentheses, but anyway. But what is it, what are the positive things that we don't read because we're, we don't want to have to tackle this verse? If they are continuing in faith, love, and holiness with propriety, hopefully the, these will be similar um, attributes of a, a man 
of a male role that we are trying to emulate, someone who has faith, love, and holiness. No? Yes. With propriety. Very interesting. Propriety is obviously fairly cultural. In a sense, what is proper for me as a woman in 1993 would perhaps have been very improper for my grandmother, um, who's been with the Lord many years hence. But still, it doesn't actually tell us, so that is something that I think about. What does it mean for me living in Hampshire in 1993 with propriety? This is clarified next in the next chapter. I'll carry on with the women first, seeing as I'm a woman. In verse 11 of chapter 3, in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect. Okay? What do we do so that we are worthy of respect? Well, we keep our word, We're acting according to God's principle. We're very responsible. We respect people who are responsible. Not malicious talkers. Now, this comes up quite a bit in relationship to women. Little girls have the gift of the gap, and they love telling each other everything. As you will know, if you are an infant teacher and you receive little you're forever hearing every last detail, and it's very difficult to do that with 30 children. But with the, our sinful hearts, with our sinful hearts, it's easy to find control <coughs> over misusing other people's prop, pri privacy. True? True everywhere in the world. Down by the water holes of Asia, where women are, are, are getting their water, or... If you listen, if you listen at bus stops around here, I'm sure we hear this has not gone out of style. Malicious talkers, <coughs> temperate and trustworthy in everything. Why is that so important? If you are going to work in the church, you are going to have other peoples will trust their private and vulnerable lives to you. You will know so-called secrets. You will be a confessor as a couple together. And you are to be trusted with that. Otherwise, you cannot be considered as a couple to be um, working in the church. But isn't this an example for us all? Is there anything there that is running down women? I don't find it at all. Now let's look. What are the men here? What is their role here? They get a much longer list. It's a noble task, so it's a noble thing to be aiming for. What are God's roles? He has to be above reproach. That's, you see, none of us are these things perfectly. And as Ronald was saying, the husband of but one wife. Temperate, self-controlled. Have you ever noticed people in a traffic queue and something goes wrong? It's the men who get angry first. And driver instructor, told, who had a lot of um, experience, who taught our son and daughter, the last two, to get driving licenses well men can be a real problem on the road is that a contemporary test of spirituality perhaps how agitated are people um, on the road when things somebody else pulls out in front of you wrongly sometimes you do I do that once or one of them you look as if a person's gonna murder you <laughs> and they obviously aren't the elder you want when you've broken down on the M1 so self-controlled Respectable, hospitable. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Warm, warm. Who are the hospitable people? They're the ones who don't judge, the ones who <coughs> are there ready to receive warmly. Ready to receive warmly. They're going to depend on that, on having this wife, this team there, who'll be willing to serve up the soup or whatever with him, and to have their privacy intruded upon together. But hospitality, so that is a role, that is a responsibility. Able to teach. Well, again, when this is for a particular reason. But again, able to think, able to explain his faith, knowing it. Not given to much wine, so that you've got your temper to give. <coughs> Living in a, in a way which is a good example, and we could say in the 20th century, not much wine perhaps, with good stewardship of the material advantages that we have in the West, not just using them selfishly for the family. We, we get back here to not violent, but gentle. That's something which men have to think about. There, there, there is this anger. So the little boys built their towers, they whooshed their, their cars around, and they get angry more easily. Women get angry too. 
but they might take it out through malicious talk. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. What is the role model for men? Not to always be picking quarrels. What does that indicate? Because it's not a mask. It's not a, a peaceful heart. How do we get peaceful hearts? God gives us his peace. It's a real relationship with him. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit and then not the lover of money. He must manage his own family well. That's a problem when we leave at six o'clock in the morning to commute to work and fathers get back too late to see their children. There are certain things in the 20th century that become much more difficult. The picture given right through the Bible is that the father will be sitting down and eating meals with the children, like it says in Deuteronomy, and taking walks with them. And we'll get on to some of that this afternoon. But the, that sort of meeting, Ronald and I were once invited to a meeting for teachers in, in the church, leaders in the church, <coughs> and he went off with the men after an opening session. They divided it up this way, and they, they were discussing um, difficulties in the Bible that um, liberalism had thrown up in interpretation of the Bible, and the women went off to a flat and discussed the family. And really, Ronald and I said, this should have really been reversed or mixed up. Because this man is meant to manage his own family well. So who's supposed to think about it? Why is this always the topic of, on women's days? This is prime importance, the male role, to manage his family well. Is that easy? We'll go on to it. Very, very difficult. And see that his children obey him with proper respect. Getting worse and worse, isn't it? <laughs> If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how, I could almost say, on earth can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now we, we, we go on and on. There's the deacons, etc. But it's, it's more or less summed up. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in the faith of Christ. Now, I believe that if we actually want roles, we flip the coin over and we look in chapter 5, where it's actually about these widows, and we'll see what did they do that was right. We're in a very different situation now, but what did these women do who were, that was right? <coughs> well, if they have children or grandchildren, in verse 4, they put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And it's interesting here, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. I didn't bring up my children so that my grandchildren could be neglected. I personally, this may seem very um, out of place, but I personally will be very, very sad if any of my grandchildren has to be brought up in a daycare centre because they are actually... Uh, orphaned. If they are dropped off at 7 o'clock in the morning and they're 18 months old and they're collected at 6.30 in the evening, they are orphaned children. That is their life. The rest of the 24 hours, the children should be asleep or having their bath or something. It is not life. And our first, I believe this is because, I mean, I have brought up children that are my own born to me and children who have not been born to me. But because a woman has this intuitive link in early childhood, any psychiatrist can tell you this, any thing, there is a very strong link. I do not believe that it's only the mother's role to take care of children. In fact, we have divided childcare between us, even from a very young age. But there is a very natural link, and I think we have a clue to it in these little girls who want dolls. They do, although I, I have many friends who who are women who are extremely able in engineering, ordinarical design, have their PhDs at Cambridge, etc., and I'm glad that they do it, and I would be very glad for my daughter to do it. They have a dilemma. That's not impossible for a couple to work out, but because it's there and because it's changed so rapidly, Christians must think this one through. The ladybird world of... 32 years ago, if you got Ladybird books, 32 years ago, Mummy, we knew exactly what she was doing. The Ladybird book told us. <laughs> Nine o'clock, Daddy went, eight o'clock, he went off to the office, and the clock told you. And at two o'clock, Mummy was going to the park, 
from feeding the ducks and at four o'clock the children have their tea and at 5.30 daddy came home again. Uh, you knew exactly and everybody felt so safe and secure. <coughs> Millie, Molly, Mandy trotted down to the village shop and there was auntie and granny and everybody and it was also seemed quite clear. Well, it's not quite clear anymore. But I must not abandon my children in it. <laughs> Whatever happens. My role as a woman means don't abandon your children right now. Don't abandon them. This is a, we're going to talk more about that, but if we are talking about roles of men and women, I don't think it is just my own biological children. I think there are many children who have um, school teachers and they give a special quality. What can a woman teacher or a person in the church give a child? Paul was not married, but he said a particular woman had been a mother to him. And she was my mother. Isn't that wonderful? I love to think of it. We think of Paul, you know, able to be shipwrecked, starved to death, and everything. But he had somebody that he thought, I'm back. Somebody is there like a mother. Somebody prayed for him like a mother, cared for him like a mother. We're given here, at the beginning of the chapter, talking about sexual ro uh, roles between the sexes, um, treat younger men as your brothers. There's a different way you treat a brother than a sister. Younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Older women as mothers. Oh, there's a tremendous amount of respect there and gentleness. There's no speaking down and saying one thing's less important than another. And it's not exactly the details either. But there is a general assuming of responsibility. Now, we find what were some of the things that they did were good. There's quite, quite a list here. In verse 9, she has to be faithful to her husband. That is, that is hard. Now, the feminists have a point. It has not been very easy being wives often. <coughs> Peter has a lot to say about that. He says, what's it like being a slave to an unjust slave master? Tough but serve him as if he was Christ. Likewise, some of these women in the early church, they might as well have been slaves. But likewise, be faithful even if it's tough. Even if the person is sinful and harsh, just like that slave master says, Peter, serve Christ, and in, uh, serve Christ in it. And um, that will be that is your role, to be faithful. What is one of the apparent aspects of the, the interaction responsibility of the roles today and the things that we do? It's the lack of sticking at things, isn't it? I've become pregnant. It's not convenient <coughs> for my career or my wrong age or something. I'll have an abortion. I have this relationship. I'm not feeling very happy in it. We'll dissolve it, etc extreme selfishness today and extreme unfaithfulness. Now, we're both called, as you know, what is a male role? He is meant to be the head like Christ. What is Christ most? Well, we can trust him because he is utterly faithful <coughs> to us and totally non-selfish and only wanting our good. So it's, it's, it's strong stuff, whether you're male or female. But thinking of this woman now, she's well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children. <coughs> and I believe today that we Christians need to stand out for bringing up children especially well. It's not easy. And we'll be talking about that this afternoon. We should show hospitality. It's one thing hospitality gives. Well, I'll tell you what one bit of nitty-gritty <coughs> is. You can't both of you have full-time, high-powered careers and give hospitality very well because you're pretty exhausted, you're both flaked, and you really have all you can do to collapse and, and sort of be civil to each other. But if you're going to give hospitality, it's extremely hard work. Washing the feet of saints, presumably the woman would have had to get in water for it and heat it up a bit, as well as everything up, but again, having the time, making the choice, this is a responsibility. Furthermore, helping those in trouble. 
helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of de good deeds. It sounds like the whole <coughs> social service is wrapped up in one, isn't it? <laughs> and um, actually, sometimes to me, being a woman feels that way too. At middle age, which we are just exactly, if you think of middle age being 50, 52, we've got elderly parents in trouble. We have children. We have extra children because their parents died that we're bringing up. Life is complicated. Why do people not go to a neighbor's help, male or female? Because they don't want to get involved, do they? They think, I haven't got time to worry about the other person's problem. We are told here, take the time to worry about other people's problems. <coughs> do something about it. Now, there is something in this which is especially feminine. What does it assume? It assumes that somebody is bringing in the bacon. And I don't think we can escape that. Now, I, don't th I think a lot of our patterns came from the Industrial Revolution because men and women did work together as teams. But if you're going to take care of people in trouble and if you're going to be given hospitality, you have to have a reasonable amount of economic base to be able to do that. And so we had the pattern, rightly or wronging, the role of the male bringing in um, sustenance and the economic side for the family. I'll tell you, any young woman who's pregnant and has a toddler getting her up to times of the night, etc., and is struggling, is very, very glad to have that and won't argue too much about it. Because again, it's a reality. It's a reality. And we're thankful for it. So whatever noise people are making, it's difficult to come up with another arrangement and still have families working is something which, as you can imagine, young people discuss a great deal. Now, um, I do also want to mention in the, in the roles of the family, of male <coughs> and female, a primary role, primary responsibility to each other is to be there for the other person's good. So you know that the, the husband, especially, and those who are not husbands, learn something about our interrelating, are meant to be like Christ, presenting the bride without a spot or wrinkle. That's difficult. You are living for the good of the other person. But the, the woman was created to be a helper. And the word used for helper is the same one as you know in the Old Testament used in other places, God helping. It's the word, for instance, used, I will lift up my eyes unto the hill from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. That is the same word that I, as a wife, am, if I'm given a role, is to do that is a big slot to fill, isn't it? Now, I, I may be very old-fashioned. This may be... Um, wrong, it may be culturally tagged, but I still do believe that submission in a sense, and the roles here, does not have to do with have one person or the other having their own way. That's a very childish and immature way of looking at things. But it has to do with the, the fact that the husband is in a sense the outer movement of the family, rather like the prow of a ship, and a woman is joining a team. A woman is is supporting that, mostly. I mean, you will occasionally have a husband who leaves his job, I don't know, up here in Newcastle to go down to London, because his wife is finishing her PhD down there or something. But usually, if you're going to take all this on, of taking care of people, etc., the wife's life is supporting the husband. If, I, if my daughter marries a farmer in Cornwall, her life is going to be very different the one who marries a missionary or someone who's married to an engineer working on research. Their lives are different. Their economic level will be different. Their, their whole um, experience and place of living will be different. That is right. It seems to me that this is, if you like, a role, a responsibility, a reality, that we have joined ourselves but there's never just the wife gives for the husband. That is not, so for instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, 
where Paul examines the role between the male and female, and take, take the sexuality, the wife is to fulfill the husband's needs, but the husband fulfills the wife's needs in the very si similar way that the spiritual needs you were meant to be giving to each other. I think we end up with quite a confusing picture if we're wanting a neat little parcel. It's important for all of us right now, first of all, in this moment of history, to, to take some time to be in touch with young people as they change and to listen, to listen what are their concerns. They will pour out their hearts to you. They will be very, very worried. Um, I've spent years, I'm now a woman PhD, and suddenly, but I'd like to get married. I'd like to have children. How's this going to work out? And not to just give slogans. <coughs> not to just say, it's all going to be easy. And yet to actually stay real and stick with the Bible here. I realize this has been more a ramble around, and I do want to leave <coughs> at least a few minutes for questions here before lunch. But I and haven't touched at all on the roles of men and women working together in the church, which I believe, again, we're a body. And all of us as men and women are a richness, a contribution to the life um, together. And the structure of the church, um, given biblically, was, whether we like it or not, was that the elders were meant to be men, just like the bit I've just read out of Timothy, which people have become very unhappy about, uh, etc. And that's a huge discussion on its own. But does, rather like a domino being knocked over, have implications? It has implications. It is crucial, it is crucial that we identify the selfishness of our generation and people wanting to have their own way. All of these things that I've been talking about entail a giving up of, the, 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 of time, energy, love, <coughs> concern, consideration, grace, the interest, and allowing for the differences that we bring. So for instance, in the Brie Fellowship, as men and women, we work together on all levels. And that is very different. I think the insights for instance, of um, men and women working together, I'm sure you find it in a school, for instance, on a staff, are very different than all men or all women. So however, what, wherever our position is on the details, we're living this out. Um, and we do have clear guidelines. I think the end that I would love to see for my children and grandchildren and the young people who come to Labrie who are following us, is that they don't live, lose the enjoyment and the richness of living out this life together and being able to donate and receive each other as married or unmarried men and women in various relationships and sticking to the righteousness of God and also not forsake our responsibilities, which sometimes I feel is a better word than role. So we have responsibilities as sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, parents, etc. Anyway. Thank you very much, Sue. Uh, been no ramble for me, uh, real opening up of scriptures and illuminating, I think, in a very clear way, rather men and women. Do you want to take a comment or two? Or well, whatever. We've got, we have five minutes. If anyone would like to respond, John. Yes, uh, the Christian ideal of family, that is uh, a man and a woman, uh, that could be very discouraging to single parent situations. Mm. And I was interested in what you were saying about us being a mixture, that masculinity and femininity is not clinically mm. defined. Would you say that that spells hope? for a single parent trying to fulfill both roles? Well, I think that the single parent immediately is in an abnormal situation. So it's sort of like, does it spell hope that I've lost my left arm? 
Well, I, could, I can compensate for it either through an artificial limb or through learning extra things. Um, people who don't have any arms, we have a, a gallery near us which shows lovely paintings done with people with paintbrushes and their toes and mouth. <coughs> and that's compensation in a sense. I think that's what it, we're up against. So any, any clinical psychologist or child working in child therapy will say, find a person ideally sometimes grandparents can fulfill this role so say a little boy can go fishing with his grandfather and have a warm relationship with a grandfather um, it's uh, some sort of substitute relationship because we can't really be the opposite sex there is hope in the sense that I think God meets our need in the abnormal world and that's what the gospel is all about not about living in the perfect world none of us have it and so, in a sense, the best hope is within that support and um, extra grace, if you like, in abnormal situations which God gives us. And hopefully, the body of Christ, hopefully, the church, being very sensitive to this and picking up some of that um, relational lack that there is in the child's life. I don't know, that's not really an answer. It's a very painful reality, increasingly, isn't it? Today. What's the church support then? God's grace. Yes. Okay. Any other points that anyone wants to make? Raymond. If, if I may, uh, I, I like what you say. Uh, it's refreshing <coughs> to hear this thing about the innate ro roles of men and women. And the situation today, where when I'm driving along in my car, I am not allowed to stop and help that lady with a big parcel or whatever. Yeah. And for 10, 15 years maybe, uh, you know, 30, 35 years ago, one could do <coughs> these things legitimately. But now, it, it, it perhaps... There's a, almost a shame, an embarrassment. Mm. I'm not allowed to. And I drive away from that situation feeling like the one not praised in this, the story of the Samaritan. Is there any way that Christians can find a resolve to these, <coughs> I, to me, embarrassing situations? Are you? Do you feel, for instance, you can't stop because... Um, the person doesn't want you to, no, or they're afraid. The social possibility, possibility of yeah. creating embarrassment. Yes, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, I feel this as a woman when I encounter a lost child, and um, I say, "Do you know where your mama is?" Assuming they're out with their mother, you see them wandering around crying. They're a toddler. They're young. They're vulnerable or perhaps a bit older, maybe five, six years old, and then a look of fear comes into their face, and that always hurts me. And I, you know, I say, well, I'm a mummy, too, and um, you know, do you know where your mummy is? But this, the, so there's, there's the fear. So who is this man stopping? I don't know him. He's not an elder. <laughs> mean, why, why is he stopping? Or, or who does he think he is? Why does he think he needs, I need his help? But I don't think that these wrong reactions should entirely put us off trying to do what's right anyway because there are a certain number of us um, who are very grateful for somebody's help and in fact will approach somebody like the other day I couldn't get my car started on a hill I don't know what it was I flooded the engine so I found the nearest looking man walking by and he was very glad to do it for me it, it we're just suddenly thrown into unnatural situations I think as men and women and we just have to in each instance perhaps pray um, think but not a to totally abandon what would be perhaps seem right to do in that situation. Because when we do, I mean, look at all those people who didn't ask those little boys what was happening to the child being dragged off because they perhaps thought, oh, I shouldn't interfere, or I guess it's all right, and we shouldn't guess so much. The person might be desperate for help. Yes. Um, I was talking to my children's lollipop man, and as he'd come off duty, he got into the local community education centre for a cup of tea. 
and he'd been spotted by two women talking to the children and laughing and joking with them. And they said, you shouldn't be so familiar with those children, you know, that really isn't on. And he whipped out his bylaws book produced by Strathclyde Police. And it says in there, be familiar with the children, gain their trust so that they know that this is a person they can come to in a time of help. Mm. But this is the way society has become. It's like a, an elderly gentleman or a grandfather can't be like a grandfather to the children. He's That's right. It's, it's become more and more and more difficult to be natural. And one suddenly you have to stop and think, will I be misinterpreted? Um, whether it's disciplining a child and they're unhappy in public or whether it's actually loving them. And a great many, for instance, I don't know what you're uh, up here, but there are schools in England now which uh, will not allow an infant teacher to say put her arm around a child's shoulder because mm -hmm. that can be misinterpreted. But that is terrible. You have a little child, it's the most natural thing in the world to comfort them. I think that probably is true in some schools. And I mean, I don't digress, but most people like John and I of that generation I think of instinctively put our arms around children when mm. we've been talking to them in schools. Mm. That would now be seriously misunderstood and mm. there are school things where policies you must not do that. Mm. Yes. Um, we uh, encountered problems with the social services with the same problem and as a Sunday school. And we were um, sort of interrogated as to what we actually do in the Sunday school. And uh, we were told that definitely we weren't allowed to put a child on our knee to cuddle them, mm. to give them any, any kind of warmth mm. or feeling. And we said, well, what about the problem of rejection? I said, we, have, we, you may, we may solve the problem of, uh, of, of lack of contact, no contact. But what about rejection when a child is desperate? Mm. The mere fact that you pull your hand away. Mm. Because in one instance, and I told the social services in this instance, I said, a child was standing with me, giving talking, uh, giving a little talk, and the child stumbled and brushed against me. And I, 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 at that moment, I, 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 had to say, I had to get out of my knees because it was it was embarrassing. But if if I just uh, thought well, and disengaged totally, I'd have I'd have I'd have caused rejection in the child. Mm. I had to use wisdom as well. I solved two problems instinctively. I had to get down on my knees. To the same level as child, and, and not let it touch parts of me through a stumbling, which was uh, would be make it uh, embarrassing. And at the same time, it cause rejection. Mm. When it's happening, what, what it, yes, absolutely. They didn't have an answer to the rejections. No. They didn't know how to handle that. I mean, what what we're asking on the one side, talking about bonding and mm. warmth and the child, etc. We're taking away, but it's become. Uh, whether we're men or women, young or old, we're running into these problems. I have a young relative right now at university, and he said, I can't invite a girl back to my room for coffee because it's assumed that what I'm inviting her for is to go to bed with me. And so what, whoever, whatever we are, we're single, married, old, young, right now our society is becoming very, very sick. And so um, I have had been out walking with a daughter and we're very affectionate at home. And she says, oh, don't put your arm around me here. People will misinterpret that. So, I mean, whatever, mm. whoever we are right now, we are actually, almost every six months, we're up against new difficulties as Christians so that we will be warm and human and act out these womanly and masculine roles and yet, yet not be um, accused of being sinful and etc. Well, last part, John. This is a, a bit of research, it's American research, and I find it quite uh, amusing. Uh, um, when they analysed the noises made by boys and girls, this is children at the playground, they found that 60% of the noises made by boys were intelligible. <laughs> Not intelligent, but intelligible. intelligible. And with girls it was 100%. Oh, and the researcher went on to say that this trend tends to continue into adulthood. <laughs> <laughs> Can't follow that. Can't follow that.